A reading from Joshua. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away from you the disgrace of Egypt. And so that place is called Gilgal to this day. While the Israelites were camped in Gilgal, they kept the Passover in the evening on the 14th day of the month in the plains of Jericho. On the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. The manna ceased on the day they ate the produce of the land, and the Israelites no longer had manna. They ate the crops of the land of Canaan that year. Hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people. A reading from the second letter of Paul to the Corinthians. From now on, we regard no one from a human point of view. Even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view, we know him no longer in that way. If anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Now, all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to Jesus. The Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country, and there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? But here I am, dying of hunger." 
I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, and get the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him, but he answered his father, Listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command, yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Catching my eye in the readings this week was a little play on words that might get lost slightly in translation. But when the Lord says to Joshua, I have rolled away the stone, I have rolled away the stone of the shame of your captivity in Egypt. They named the place Gilgal, which is a little bit of onomatopoeia. It's very close to that word rolled. And it brought back a memory, a memory of a number of years ago when my wife and I went, um, may have even been before we were married, we went to a live kabuki theater in Berkeley. And the only thing I remember from the particular play that they were doing was one of the great kabuki actors crouching down, as they do in Japanese um, scenes, and going, goro, 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 goro. It's about the rolling of a sliding door. And that onomatopoeia, which is not just a false cognitive, but it's very similar in Japanese for whatever reason, Gilgal, the rolling, the rolling of the shame of the captivity in Egypt. I want to flag that image because it is key to understanding what is going on in so many of the other readings and in this place 
that we find ourselves in what I like to call Deep Lent, this fourth Sunday. If you are anywhere at all, maybe you're still just getting started, but if you are anywhere at all in practicing fasting this Lent or picking up a spiritual discipline, the sneaky devil that often comes in is the devil of self-satisfaction and righteousness. Oh, I'm doing it now. I've accomplished something. Today's very familiar parable is meant to tweak us a little bit on the nose for thinking along those lines, because this is the thinking of the Pharisees and the scribes. We as Christians often fall into the trap of believing them fundamentally to be somehow Jesus' enemies in the Gospels. There certainly is polemic there, but we have to remember that the way Luke is depicting them and the way many of the other authors depict them is not as so much Jesus' enemies, but as the righteous, the people who got it right, the people who have it right with God and are able to observe all the practices and the disciplines and the fasts who are right with the law as they understand it through their religious tradition, who then look out and see Jesus doing something that they cannot fathom. Because in Jesus' time, and really in most times, who we are is often shown in the people we eat with, the people we consort with, the kinds of characters we surround ourselves with. And here Jesus is cavorting with sinners and tax collectors, the pariahs of his society. And of course, the righteous folk, the ones who have it right with God and in their religious tradition are scandalized by this. How dare he? What does he think he's doing? So in that sense, they don't identify in the story with the prodigal son, which is the name we often give this parable. A better name for them, and perhaps for us, might be not the prodigal son, but the righteous elder brother. How many of you identified with him? Is this story fair to him? The sense Luke gives us is not just that his younger brother has taken his share of the inheritance and run off with it and squandered it completely. When he gets home, his father is so overjoyed that he starts spending his elder brother's inheritance to celebrate with the younger brother. You can understand why he's upset, right? The reason this story hits us so close to home and stays with us is because it vividly captures something that both theologians and anthropologists have understood for years. It's what Rene Girard describes as the mimetic side of the human condition. And it goes back to sibling rivalry. 
We all know this in our own families. We see it amongst our friends. We know it as parents trying to raise siblings, no matter how far apart in age they are. And that is that there's always this game going on of imitation, mimicry, but also competition. And this is deeply enshrined as well in the traditions of Judaism and Christianity because, of course, from very early on, we had the image of the rival siblings, particularly the rival brothers. Think Cain and Abel, right? Think Jacob and Esau, where Jacob steals Esau's birthright. Think of David, who is the youngest of Jesse's sons, and therefore, in a patriarchal society, is least least able and least appropriate to take up the task of being king over the Israelites. This sense in which the tradition is constantly turning over this natural order of things where the firstborn gets what is duly his and the younger-borns take their place Think of Joseph, who becomes more powerful than all his elder brothers put together in Egypt. Jesus wants his followers, as well as the Pharisees and scribes and us, so many centuries later, to hear and see ourselves in this parable and our own sense of righteousness when we've done something correctly, because this is always sneaking into religious community and religious life. This notion that at last, aha, I have it right, and therefore, I can focus on hanging on to that. This is what we do with wealth. It's what we do with our material possessions frequently when we accumulate something that we feel is good and right, we tend to hedge around it to protect it. But in fact, Jesus is telling us the love of God is so radical and so critically offered for those who need it most, like the prodigal son, that God is even willing to spend blessing on them at our expense. that doesn't make you uncomfortable, listen more closely. God is willing to spend the deepest treasures of our hearts to draw back into the fold those who have wandered far astray. Which serves as a reminder, ultimately, that we as Christians do not rely on our own strength for righteousness. Do not rely on our own mettle for doing good. In fact, we are as dependent upon God as anyone who has gone far afield and comes back, tail between their legs, ready to work and give themselves up. The problem 
with our sense of righteousness is that it makes us cling so tightly we forget the blessing that is already there, even for us. That blessing, abundance, that the father discloses to his elder son when he says, my son, everything I have is yours. Everything. And yet, here is his elder son standing outside the house, refusing to go in, possessed only of his righteous anger, his offense, his sense of honor having been besmirched. Gee, Dad, all I wanted was a young goat so I could party with my friends. You haven't even given me that. Jesus wants us to understand that everything we have is gift. And here in Deep Land, to open our hearts, to recognize that that gift is meant to be shared, because there is no end of that gift. If we open ourselves to it and let go of all of those things that we cling to so desperately, most importantly, our own sense of righteousness. That's what prepares us for what is yet to come. Because today we have that image, that foretaste, something that should remind us of where this is all ultimately headed. Gilgal. The stone rolled away from the empty tomb.